Hello again, everybody. It's time for the Mainland Podcast, episode number 133. We talk all things Orlando City and Orlando Pride. I am Michael Citro, the founder and managing editor of TheMainland.com. Joining me, as always, is my co-host and uh, fellow writer at The Mainland, David Rowe up in Tallahassee. Dave, how you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Uh, well, I mean, you know, as wonderful as we can be after the weekend. I mean, we had some good, we had some bad, we had a debut of a new coach. There's so much to talk about. Nine. Nine is the number now, Dave. The magic number of consecutive losses is nine as Orlando City chases down MLS history and the uh, all-time record, uh, which I believe is 12 consecutive losses, it, it is well within reach. So, hey, Woo-hoo! good job, Wait, Lions. Oh, that's a bad thing. Lions Sorry. chasing oh. history, so there you go. Um, yeah, the James O'Connor uh, debut happened Saturday at LAFC as uh, the new head coach of Orlando City. And I have to say that even though the loss was, again, lopsided, a 4-1 to one LA victory. I think that there were a lot of positives in this game that you could take away. Um, of course, you never want a moral victory. You never, you know, a loss is a loss and they all suck equally. Um, but it, it looked more like to me, Dave, the first couple losses in this losing streak where the team played well, uh, but kind of had some bad moments. Uh, played well overall, probably generated enough chances to win the game or at least to take something from the game and uh, didn't. Uh, finish those chances so maybe not quite the same as the other recent lopsided losses at Atlanta and uh, the two games against Montreal no uh, it was there was a different feel about it and that could just be because you know we're looking at it with different eyes because you know we've got a new coach we're we're looking at things differently but um, it it did feel different to me Uh, yes it's a loss and a loss sucks but uh, at the same time um, uh, there was a there was a different vibe to the team uh, in this game, and I don't know if it's just the, all of them pr- trying to prove that they belong or or what. But um, up until Specs went out, uh, you, you felt a little bit better. Yeah, an interesting lineup. We saw uh, Coleman on the left side and uh, Mueller on the right, uh, with Question in the middle, Dwyer up top, uh, defensive midfielders Yoshi and Yuri. And uh, the back line was a little bit different. We saw we saw Tarek and uh, Spectre, who would you you would expect as the healthy center backs at the time. More on that later. Uh, and then uh, the right backs and Scott Sutter was out with an adductor injury. Uh, it was R.J. Allen, so it's kind of default there. Also, Will Johnson was suspended for yellow card accumulation. And uh, then Donnie Toya getting back in the lineup on the left side. So it looked like James O'Connor wanted to play a more defense a defense oriented game where the, the goal was to stay in the game and to be organized and, and that kind of thing. And it did work for a while. LAFC does score a lot of early goals, especially at home. And, you know, typically in the first 15 minutes, Yeah, they, they talked a lot about that on the broadcast about how, uh, how often they score in the first 15 minutes. Orlando city weathered that. And, and plus another 13, it was uh, 28 minutes before, uh, the first goal was scored, and that was kind of off a scramble. Um, but uh, before that happened, uh, the old uh, injury bug bit again. Inspector uh, <sighs> gets uh, comes up with a hammy, and uh, had to be replaced by Chris Schuler. And um, that was uh, in the 25th minute, and just three minutes later, uh, you know, LA scored the first goal, and that was. Um, I, I think that there was a moment in there where. 
Joe Bendick could have uh, calmed that sort of uh, chaos down, but uh, he got, it looked like he picked up a shot. Uh, I think it was from K a little late. Or no, it was from Blessing. I'm sorry. Blessing got a shot, and it didn't seem like it was that troublesome, but he, I don't know if he was late picking it up or whatever, but he went down and he punched his it out. Um, didn't really get a good clearance on it. Uh, Blessing was able to track it down and, and recycle it in, and and uh, Diamande ends up with the goal. Um, I, I thought that he could have done a little better there, but, um, you know, it, it, it happened, and you can see it at the 28th minute. Um, and I liked the response to that because, you know, it was only, it was the 31st minute that question uh, played in Dom Dwyer behind the back line and, uh, had a golden opportunity to tie the game right away. But, uh, Tyler Miller with a big save, uh, Dom doesn't, uh, get his shot around the big keeper. And, um, unfortunately a minute later it was two, nothing Orlando city making other teams. Goalkeepers look like badasses all year. Yeah, well Miller is actually having a pretty good year um and he he made some really good saves in this game. Um yeah. but uh unfortunately uh but it was 2-0 at the half and um you know it 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 seemed like in the lead up before the goal even it seemed like Orlando had a plan. They're content to give up possession. Their intent to you know their their intention was to stay organized, look for opportunities to counter. This is not a team that we've seen a lot of counterattacking from this year. But I think Dave, they actually looked like they were somewhat capable looking on on the counterattack in this game, and they they always seemed like you know there was going to come a moment where one of them would connect with Dwyer and spring him or somebody else was going to come in and join the play uh, with Dwyer holding the play up and, and bringing in a Chris Mueller or somebody like that. And in fact, early in the game, Chris Mueller was very active out on the right side and it kind of, he kind of disappeared after the early going uh, and then the attacks started to run more up the left side. But I did like the opportunist uh, sort of approach to the game where here's a team that is a high scoring team uh, we're not going to pretend that we're going to just hold on to the ball and keep them from having it. We're going to stay organized and we're going to wait and we're going to make them make a mistake. And we're going to look for opportunities to get, get, you know, get uh, transition goals. And I thought that was a decent approach and certainly a different one than we've seen. I was going to say there, it was obviously a different approach than we've seen. Um, you can, you can already see James O'Connor's stamp on this team as far as, uh, the, the tactics. Um, it, I think it was an interesting lineup. Um, I, I believe that, uh, you know, James has come in. He's got all of these guys and, and, you know, we're, we're talking about, he's had him for five days. So, right. you know, um, he can only do so much, um, you know, figuring out who's going to do what. And so it's kind of like, you know, Donnie Toya makes, you know, the starting lineup. And so, uh, Donnie must've showed him something in practice. Cause I don't think that, uh, he, O'Connor has any kind of loyalty to Donnie Toya. So uh, whatever he showed him in, in, in practice must have been, you know, what got him onto the field. Um, it's it, like you said, it, it did. They did look a little bit more dangerous. They were absorbing the pressure more than most teams have against LAFC this year so far. So, I mean, that's a positive. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, specs went out that, you know, things fell apart a little bit, which, uh, OK, you take uh, your your captain and your most experienced center back out of the game. Well, of course, that's going to affect things. Um, it, you would be nuts to think that it wasn't a and not anything against Chris Schuller. I mean, I think he actually did a decent job once he came in. I mean, he's he's a big dude. Um, you know, he may not. he I'm, He's no Jonathan Spector, but. Um, 
still, you know, did a decent job. Um, and you're right. Uh, the attack was – it was a counterattacking plan, um, which – is exactly what you need to do on somebody with uh, like LAFC. I mean, they're, they're going to press. They're going to press high. So uh, the, the way to play them is to do that, and, and that's what Orlando City tried to do. And, and ultimately, um, you know, they did end up getting a goal from that. Yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting situation. I'm, I'm certain that, um, you know, James O'Connor being a, a very um, hardworking guy has probably watched a lot of film uh, prior to that first game. And, you know, maybe he just saw – you know, that that Mohamed Munir is a little bit loose with the ball sometimes, a little bit um, taking chances, getting caught upfield. Maybe he just wanted to go with somebody a little bit more stay at home, a little more defensively responsible on that left side. And, and maybe that's why Toya got the start up. I'm not going to put words in his mouth, but uh, if you're running that type of a, um, you know, strategy, probably that's a good move. Uh, and then you've got the ability to bring El Munir in off the bench if you need offense, which they did later in the game uh, uh, as a midfielder, actually, a wing player. Um, which was really interesting. Yeah, so, you know, 2-0 at the break. And, and I, I didn't think Schuler played particularly poorly. I think that any – you I mean, it, we just saw a perfect example, really, of why you don't ever like to substitute a center back in the middle of the game. It, it took a few minutes for the back line to sort of reset. Um you know, it was a seven-minute span from the time that Spectre left the field to the two goals uh, having scored for LAFC. So uh, just some simple rotations that they can clean up. It's um, And probably if Schuler was in the rhythm of the game, you know, maybe guys aren't being pulled out of position and, 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 rotate, and failing to rotate and that kind of thing. So um, it's hard to say that if Spectre doesn't get hurt, they still don't score those two goals, but I think it was probably less likely. Um, certainly, but it was nice because uh, Toya got a, an assist in the game because he, he sent Sasha question, uh, in, uh, on a break. And of course that uh, was helped some by Walker Zimmerman coming out to try to, to get there and going down and, and question rounded him and, and was able to score from the top of the box and make it two one. Um, and, uh, and it was sort of game on a little bit. It was like, okay, you started to see Orlando getting a little bit more of the ball, get a little bit more confidence. And uh, then in the 72nd minute, Orlando ties the game. Woohoo! But no. Oh. Um, in what is uh, just yet another inexplicable decision, um, you know, a, a, it, it, it really looked at first like a brilliant play. Because the ball gets played in behind to Justin Merrim, or it gets played yep. in behind the back line, and Dom Dwyer is a, a mile offside. But he doesn't. He ignores the ball, runs away from it, and allows it to run through. And Justin Merrim gets on it, and now you're like, oh, well, here we go. And then Merrim cuts the ball back uh, to a now completely onside Dom Dwyer, who scores. It's 2-2. The teams come all the way back from two goals down. It's only 18 minutes to play to get a point on the road. Uh, maybe yep. maybe you you maybe LA is going to be on their back foot a little bit, maybe feeling the pressure, being the home team and having blown the two goal lead. But no, there's this big long delay before the restart. The video uh, assistant referee has decided that Chris Penso, the on field referee or the AR on the side, who did not raise his flag, has made a clear and obvious error, which means you can, which means he's saying. Dave, that you can clearly see that Justin Miram is offside, clearly offside, 
and the goal does not count. Uh, I've seen the replays that are available. I have looked at them a number of times. I've seen the still photographs of when Kleshin unleashes the pass. I do not see any clear and obvious error by Chris Penso on that play. Uh, I know that we're both older and maybe our eyes aren't that good, but um, my close-up vision, if my contacts are out, is perfectly fine, and I've looked at those same videos, and I don't see anything clear and obvious either. You can't, As far as I'm um, concerned, he was on side. You, you just cannot look at that play and say that there, with any certainty that you can see a clear offside on that play when the ball is, is passed. And hilariously, MLS put out a you decide video and they spot shadow Miram when the ball is halfway to him. And of course he's beyond the last defender because he has now run past that last defender because it's called making a run. And right. Because the ball had already been hit. Yeah, The ball had been hit and was, you know, anywhere from a half to three quarters of the, of the distance it traveled to where he got it. And now they spot shadow him. It just it was a ridiculous sort of way to to try to cover for the referee and say that he made the right call. And uh, what really was bothersome is that, you know, at that point, Penso earlier in the year or even late last year after they started uh, to introduce video review, all plays were reviewed by the on field referee. He would run over to the side, look at the monitor and say, yep, I screwed that up or nope, got it right. Uh, or, you know, close enough, not an obvious error. So it was it, it, the play on the field counted. Now they don't have to do that for offside calls. Now the VAR has the authority to make that call. So Chris Penso previously would have gone over and looked at it. And maybe he says, maybe he sees something we don't see and says offside. But probably the likely cause is like, yeah, it's that's so close. I, I can't really tell for sure. So I have to make the call on the field stand. Um, but anyway, you look at it. Just a huge deflating uh, thing to take away the goal, and um, and now it's 2-1 again. Still time, but that's a pretty big momentum killer, uh, especially when you've already celebrated the goal and and everybody's feeling great, and then it gets pulled back like that uh, uh, that late. It was just all right. Just I have abuse to of the system. Abuse of the system. I, I was going to say I have to interrupt and say that was BS. Yeah. I don't want to use the letters instead of the word, but that was BS. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so the game goes on, and in the 82nd minute, uh, Diamande off a, a goal line scramble off of the off of a corner kick, uh, puts the ball off the crossbar. Penso calls it a goal. We restart immediately. There's no lengthy delay to see did the ball completely cross the line. I couldn't tell from the the, the angles they showed on television. It wasn't clear. Wait, what? It wasn't clear to me. Um, maybe they have some funky. Uh, you know, overhead shot that we're not privy to on the broadcast that uh, the VAR looked at, and he looked at it so quick you couldn't even tell that he looked at it. But they immediately just took the ball out to the center circle and kicked off. It was no, you know, I didn't see Chris Penso go to his earpiece and, you know, like, you know, you see when, when they're consulting with the, the VAR. Um, and I know what happened. <laughs> you do. I do. Uh, he did go to the earpiece. It just wasn't shown on TV, and it was Don Garber going, "Yeah, just keep going." Yeah, it was it was bad. I mean, uh, you know, we've joked the pro gonna pro, but come on, man. I mean, this is not the kind of thing that would ever happen to the darling teams of the league, including LAFC. Uh, but this happens routinely to Orlando, and you continue to say, "Well, it's just you know, pe- people around the league say, oh, Orlando fans are whining about the officials because their team is bad.'" 
No, we're whining about the officials because the officials are bad. Yeah, there's the pro gonna pro is a thing because pro gonna pro. We didn't start that because we were whiners. We started that because of of, of calls that are made consistently, and it, it, I, I'm certain that we could. And and maybe this is an article for somebody right to go back and find every instance of this to show that we're not just being petty. I mean, you, you, if you want to say that there are games that Orlando City has won or tied that they didn't deserve to because of a call, you might have two in the four years. Maybe if you want to say the team potentially dropped points because of a call, you've got a smorgasbord. Belly up to the bar, folks, because there's plenty to choose from. You got hand- it's all you can eat. You got handballs that hit chests. You've got unintentional handballs that were called handball intentional handballs. You've got all kinds of you know things. You've got red cards that weren't red cards that were later rescinded. Any number of things that that they that have gone against Orlando. I don't know who in Orlando's uh, front office has pissed off the MLS front office, but <laughs> I really wish that they would become friends. Maybe send them a fruit basket or something. Get get this over with. Um, anyway, LAFC added attacked on another one two minutes later on a, just a horrible horrible touch uh, by Amro Tarek. Uh, just a routine back pass from from Justin Merrim who. Again, gets blasted on Twitter, and it's like, okay, you you get mad when he takes on defenders and can't beat them, and you get mad when he's cut off and he makes a back pass. It's a routine back pass uh, that Tarek can't handle for some reason. Takes a huge heavy touch off of it, then gets muscled off the ball by Diamande, and uh, you know Blessing comes in, picks it up, and uh, feeds over to Diego Rossi for an easy goal, and the game is completely over. And uh, it it's a 4-1 scoreline that didn't seem like a 4-1 game. I mean. Shots were 19-14, not totally uh, lopsided in favor of L.A. Shots on goal, 13-9. When's the last time, Dave, Orlando City had nine shots that are on target? Yeah, right, on goal? Yeah. Um, that might uh, eclipse the last nine three games. Ago. <laughs> yeah, that, that, might, that might eclipse the last three games combined, maybe even the last four, if you don't count the uh, the uh, U.S. Open Cup game. So, Indeed. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's unbelievable. But... Um, you know, it is another loss, and I think that you could say overall the team played better. Uh, Tyler Miller made, a, like I said, again, again, a couple of great saves. He made a save on a, a Sasha Kleschen uh, free kick that was headed for the upper 90 um, that most goalkeepers would not have gotten. Uh, somebody of Tyler Miller's size and length uh, can make that save, but most of the goalkeepers in this league would not have gotten to that. Uh, but eight saves. Um, for Tyler Miller. So they worked him. It's not like he wasn't a busy goalkeeper. Um, there were opportunities there. Didn't finish him. And really uh, some timely finishes earlier in the game might have made that a different different game. Certainly tying the game with 18 minutes to play may have changed the, the outcome of the game. At least, uh, you know, maybe they park the bus and get the draw. Maybe L.A. makes a mistake trying to trying to, you know, get it back really quick and, and, and we're able to counter. Um that's the thing. The thing about that call is you can look at the 4-1 scoreline and say the call doesn't matter. But as we've said in any number of times, the situation of a goal completely changes the complexion of a game. So there's no telling what would have happened. Right. I mean, if if that call happens when it's 3-1, OK, sure, maybe you're right. But when it's 2-1 versus 2-2. It matters. It, it, it absolutely matters. Uh, momentum is a thing in sports. Um, you know, uh, how players feel, um, how the opponents feel. 
all of this is is a true thing in sports. It it you can see it in anything: basketball, football, baseball, whatever you like. Uh, certainly soccer. So uh, the mentality changes the uh, on both sides. So like you said, you know, maybe we park the bus. Uh, maybe they have to advance more. Maybe we have confidence. Regardless, uh, obviously, it did obviously change the game, and. You know, the end result, okay, the end result was the end result. Um, I'm going to go back to what I said initially, which was that despite everything, this did feel different. And the mentality of the players felt different. And I'm not saying it's where it needs to be, but it it definitely did feel... Different? You know, uh, <laughs> I was I was trying for another word. You know, look, I was you know I'm a writer. I should be able well, to come you up go with you word. go find your thesaurus. Well, but, uh, all I was all I was going to say is you know every everybody was more. How about this? Everybody was a little bit more like Mueller in that they kept trying. Well, and I was gonna I was gonna jump in and say that the energy of the team seemed different, and it may have just have been the new coach um, in the first game and trying to impress him. Uh, but there did seem to be a renewed energy on the side. Uh, I I think that the team played better than what the, the result, certainly the final scoreline indicated. Um, there were opportunities there. Again, uh, Dwyer had a chance to tie the game at one. It was a big save. Uh, probably could have been a better shot. Uh, you had Kleshton getting robbed on a, on a free kick. You had uh, uh, Josue Coleman got uh, robbed on a nice shot that was uh, labeled for the, the corner, lower corner that uh, Miller made a nice save on. Uh, you had Mueller miss the net from a, it was from a tight angle, but the net was empty uh, and he just completely missed the net. If he put, puts that on frame, you know, any number of those chances uh, could have changed the, the outcome. But the, the fact that they got as many shots and as many shots on goal as they did was a, a, a big, big uh, change from what we've seen. Uh, well, and, and use the word energy. I use the word Mueller. They made the same thing. <laughs> All right. So, Dave, who's your man of the match uh, in the 4-1 loss to L.A.? By the way, the, the Lions have never won in the state of California. <laughs> well, we're going to have to change that at some point, aren't we? Um, uh, you know, I'm going to give my man of the match uh, to Sasha because he scored a goal and we haven't scored a goal and I don't even know freaking how long. So um, he, it was a long dang time. So uh, for scoring a goal, he gets my man of the match. Yeah, I agree that Sasha Kleshton was a man of the match. Uh, not only did he score the goal, uh, he set up Dwyer for that op- opportunity to make it 1-1. And, and although Dom didn't uh, make turn that into an assist for Kleshton, it should have been. Uh, he should have gotten a hockey assist on the Dom Dwyer goal that should have counted. So he could have had a goal and two assist night uh, very easily. The free kick was uh, was a superb free kick and, and would have scored on, on many nights. Uh, but Tyler Miller made a, a good save. He picked it up early, read the play well, and, and made the save. Uh, so Kleshen was the most dangerous player for Orlando City. He was the, the best all-around player, I think, uh, over the course of the 90 minutes. So I think that's a solid choice. Man of the match, Sasha Kleshen. Okay. Um, well... We move on. We move on to uh, the Toronto uh, Toronto FC. The Reds uh, come to Orlando City Stadium Saturday night, 8 o'clock start time, which is a little bit different. Usually the home games are 7.30. Maybe it's a Canadian TV thing or something. Maybe they requested 8 o'clock. But, uh, sure I, it is, eh? I don't know. I'm getting uh, – I think it's it's a little past uh, most people's bedtimes. The 11 o'clock start time the other night was certainly uh, – That was way past everybody's it bedtime. It was grueling. Um, by the time I wrote uh, the recap uh, and edited all the stories, it was three in the morning. I was pretty dead. <laughs> uh, 
it was pretty dead. Um, but yeah, so we'll we'll talk a little bit more about Toronto uh, coming up. James O'Connor's uh, second match in charge, and hopefully, hopefully, he'll pick up uh, some points uh, for the first time. Because as of right now, only two coaches have ever won a game or earned any point. Uh, or yeah, only two coaches have won a game for Orlando City, and that is Adrian Heath and Jason Christ. Uh, Bobby Murphy has earned a point or a few points <laughs> with draws. Uh, so all the love for you, Bobby, all the yeah. love. All right. So uh, before we get to the pride, a couple of other notes uh, about Orlando city uh, or at least uh, prior Orlando city uh, folks. We have um, uh, CJ Brown, former assistant coach was hired uh, as a New York uh, Red Bulls assistant coach. So the former uh, Jason Christ assistant is now assisting Chris Armas at uh, New York Red Bulls. Good for good for CJ. Good Absolutely. Place uh, they're playing well, although they lost the New York Derby, the first game that Chris Armas was uh, coaching. Uh, but it was again, it was on the baseball diamond, which again, it's uh, it's, it's so hard to watch games uh, on that field. Uh, I, I watched that, that game and I just thought, oh, this game is ruined by this pitch because. All these Every athletes, game is ruined by that pitch. All these athletes, and they can't get out and do what they do because there's just no space. It's it's really it's really bad. It's the worst. It is literally the worst. Yeah, it's bad. Um, also, uh, Antonio Nocherino, Dave, is going to Serie A Bay. Noche! Yeah, Nocherino not hanging him up. He is signed with uh, uh, Benevento Calcio. In, good uh, for Sadia him. Bay. So, uh, yeah, good for the former uh, former midfielder for Orlando City. And, uh, you know, uh, Carlos Rivas, the Red Bulls moved on from him. <laughs> they've, <laughs> what? Uh, they've loaned him out. Uh, to He's going back to his native Colombia. And uh, so, uh, <laughs> go figure. Got to yep. work on got to work on consistency. Who would have known that Carlos Rivas was inconsistent? Okay, so those of you who read my line links this week, uh, this is the joke the second time. But uh, everybody in Columbia, duck. Duck and cover. Uh, all right, so let's get into this. The Pride played a game, Dave, against the Washington Spirit. And it looked like the Lions have rubbed off on the Pride because chance after chance after chance. Yep. Sent wide, sent right into the keeper trying to score near post when the keeper was standing right at the near post. Just so many opportunities to score. And it looked like another one of those games where the pride were going to dominate and still somehow lose like they did against Houston uh, not too long ago. But, um, you know, and Washington scores off of a set piece because people don't like to cover the posts on set pieces for some reason. I will never understand this. Yes, you give up a defender in a 1v1 situation, but if somebody gets a head on the ball, a weak header to the back post is an easy goal if nobody's there to just kick it away. And, and that's what happened. And, and not just in the NWSL, but MLS, World Cup. Oh, yeah, we've seen it in the EPL, World Cup. Everywhere. We see it everywhere again and again and again. And every time it happens, you go, why wasn't there somebody on the back post? Why wasn't there somebody on the front post? Exactly. And in this case, it was a... It was a back post shot from the back post, if that makes sense, because the corner came in and it was sent to the back post area, but it was headed back toward the front post and nobody was there to, to keep it out, and uh, including Ashlyn Harris and um, any defender. So it was 1-0 to the spirit, even though it was completely against the run of play, completely uh, yep. out of nowhere. And you went, yeah, seems about right. 
seems about right for the way things are going because the Pride had lost their last two home games. And then uh, they they got one back right at the death of halftime. Um, you know, good play by Alana Kennedy to get it to Sid. Sid makes a, a cut, another cut, uh, turns and fires near side, and it gets through. It squirts through. A shot that really Aubrey Bledsoe should have stopped, in my opinion. But um, uh, if, if Aubrey had been at... Uh, Orlando Pride, she would have stopped that one. That's right. So Sydney had been going near post the whole half. Um, had she gone far post, she might have had a hat trick in the first half. Yeah, uh, indeed. But uh, no. So it was 1-1 at the half, and um, then the second half again, you know, Orlando played well. They were getting chances. They were getting shots. Just uh, Bledsoe made a couple fine saves. They, they uh, hit the crossbar on Alana Kennedy header. Uh, again, it's just not going... It, don't you want to go to your home? Uh, it's totally Happy Gilmore. <laughs> it's so uh, Happy Gilmore. Go to your home. Just yeah. Are you too good for your home? And uh, finally, uh, just an outlet late in the game, 86th minute. Uh, Sydney finds uh, Marta, who makes a long run, and she's she's gassed. She's been out there, Dave, the whole game. Uh, you know, her legs are not the youngest ones on the pitch. She gets the ball in the box. She cuts to her right. Looks like she's got a chance to shoot. She doesn't shoot. She cuts it back to her left, and as and she almost falls down because her legs just won't hold her up. And then she just freaking drills one into the upper corner and uh, makes it 2-1 and, uh, and, and lifts the pride to victory. Okay, so if you need a goal and you need a goal late, you look to the greatest of all time. And we have her, and that's Marta. And like you said, she was, oh my God, so tired. And yet still, still made the defense look a little bit silly, one on two, heck, two on one, and put the ball at the only place it could have gone. Because let's face it, Bledsoe is an excellent goaltender. We know that. We had her. We had to let her go because she was so good. And yet just put it perfectly, and it goes in. And then the celebration was awesome i mean i, w- I want to make it my screensaver <laughs> she I mean, earned was... <laughs> that she earned a goal she earned several i mean uh bledsoe's best save was earlier in the game yeah in fact that was up for nwsl save of the week it didn't win but it was a uh, one of the finalists and by right. the way marta's goal goal of the week in the uh, nwsl the fun so uh, uh duh because of the the moves the placement and the the moment it was a game winner late and uh so crazy 11 shots dave sometimes the pride have gone a whole game without 11 shots marta had 11 herself with five of them yeah the, i think the team ended up with 31 shots it was just laughably lopsided in terms of the way the game was played but the finishing just wasn't there and we've seen it with the the lions all year uh you know especially the the first few games of this uh this streak and we've seen it we even saw it at saturday night at la you you got to Absolutely. And give it up. Of course. But, you know, I mean, give it up blood. So for a couple of good saves and um, yeah, but you're right. I mean, you know, crossbars and, and near misses and uh, it, it fortunately, the pride are good enough that they were able to overcome that Orlando City thing where they can't win the game because of those things. And like I said, you know, Marta takes it on her shoulders and simply says, OK, I'm going to do this. Um, and I, th- I think I read something where she even said, um, I, I imagine that I was 20 years old again, not the age I am, and what would I do? And I would do this, and then she went and did it. 
And while credit, she didn't have anything much after that. Who cares? She scored the goal. Yeah, that second cutback was uh, it was it was really scary for me because it did. She definitely stumbled, and it looked like maybe she doesn't even get a shot off after after right. passing up a right-footed uh, opportunity, which which looked like a golden opportunity. I mean, it, she had she had space, had beaten her defender. Bledsoe was on the near post. She had the, a lot of the far side to shoot at. And uh, she decided to cut back toward the near post. And I thought, oh, man, the chance just went again. And, and, and she just wouldn't be denied. She just said, I'm going to place this. I'm going to put power on it. I'm going to put it high. And she did. Bledsoe couldn't keep it out. And uh, it's a win for the pride, Dave. And it was a much needed win because now the, the team goes on the road to play Houston and Utah in just a, you know, Houston Wednesday night as the, the same day that this particular podcast drops. And it's an 8.30 start time. And then they'll go out to uh, to play Utah at 7 o'clock Eastern time uh, on Saturday. So a uh, big week for yep. the Pride on the road. Marta, easily my man of the our player of the match uh, for the Pride. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, you know, uh, the, the, the goal that won it, goal of the week um not to mention just uh everything else she did in the game and then um you know like you said there were so many chances that just weren't and she made the most of the one that shouldn't have been and made it happen um I, and i think i think that it gave that goal kind of was a little bit of a, a you know, resuscitation to the uh, to the rest of the team. The oh yeah, hey, we're good, we can win, and I think that that bodes well going into the next couple of games because they needed that. They needed that win. They need you know a result would have been nice, but to get the three points, I think that uh, I think that was something that they as a team will be able to take and then as a team build upon. And Marta gave them that. Well, we will see if they can build on it with a, uh, a little bit of revenge game against the Houston Dash, another team that uh, the team that just last week uh, came to Orlando and got a victory uh, on a night that, quite frankly, for the first half hour, they at the end of the first half hour, they should have been down four, three or four goals. And, um, you know, because it was a lot like that Washington game in a lot of ways. But uh, they hung around, hung in there, only gave up one. And uh, they were able to come back and win it 2-1. So uh, hopefully, and again, that was a crazy game because uh, they got that cross that somehow went in instead of being a cross, and then they got the penalty. Yep. So, uh, yep. yeah, hopefully a little bit of revenge for the Pride on Wednesday and then go out and try to get the first win against Utah, uh, which I think Utah now the only team, I think, in the league that Orlando hasn't beaten because they are a first-year team and they've tied twice. Um a uh, difficult place to play in Rio Tinto, uh, a good Utah team. But these games now, what are they, eight games left? Lots of uh, lots of big playoff ramifications every game now. Yep. So uh, the good news is that this uh, road trip will pretty much be most of the remainder of the road games uh, for the Pride. The Pride are going to be at home a lot more because of the uh, the, the, the front-loaded schedule with the road games. So uh, we'll see. Can they can they get on a roll? That would be nice because this is a team that if, if the goals start going in for this team, they could roll play. Uh, they could roll some teams like we did see that against Chicago um, on the road. So and the team's been good on the road this year. So there's reason to be optimistic. And uh, we'll see what happens. Um, well, you know, we're we're now in the midst uh, between games one and two of the James O'Connor era, and um, 
as you and I both mentioned, we thought the team looked a little more energetic, a little better uh, mm-hmm. in that game out at L.A. Maybe getting them at home is what James O'Connor needs to get off the schneid. Uh, the, the, you know, the team brought in, uh, he brought in Daniel Bird with him as an assistant and uh, Tabani Sutu, goalkeeper coach. I think that was announced this week uh, officially. And uh, yep. Bird was officially announced uh, with since our last broadcast as well, although it was already, you know, poorly kept secret. I mean, he was at the, the introductory press conference uh, for James <laughs> O'Connor, and it had been reported uh, by Louisville City that he was going as well. So, um, you know, it was not a surprise, uh, but the, the, the new coaching staff is intact. We'll see if they have what it takes to get this thing turned around. It's going to, it's going to be a process because this is the first time for all of these coaches to coach MLS, uh, you know, at the MLS level. And uh, it's going to take some time to get everybody on the same page and, and pulling the same direction. So, um, you know, I think that that's something that has begun. It looks like it. Hopefully that wasn't just a mirage or, or, you know, like fool's gold because it did seem like the team had a different energy about it. It did seem like there were new ideas that were being presented, new uh, players in new positions like El Munir playing uh, as a midfielder, which is, I think, a good spot for him um, out and on the wing. Incredibly interesting. And, um, you know. It will be it will be crazy. Uh, it's just going to be a crazy ride from here on out. But uh, why don't we find out a little bit more about this coaching staff and uh, how it operates? We're going to do that with our special guest right after this. All right, joining us on the Mainland Podcast, we are very happy to have with us a brand new assistant coach for Orlando City SC. Daniel Bird, Daniel, thanks for being on the podcast. No problem. Thank you guys for having me. So I want to start out by asking you about uh, just sort of the the return because you were here uh, involved in the youth system and, and you went off to become uh, an assistant under James O'Connor in the USL, a very um, a very successful USL program, Louisville City, and uh, and then James gets the call here, and uh, you are his right hand man. He brings you right along with him. What what was that like for you to return uh, as an MLS assistant coach? Exciting, very exciting. Uh, yeah, I knew I knew James uh, starting all the way back in 2013. Um, I was coaching in the academy. Uh, James was just transitioning into coaching. Um, he was doing some, I think he was actually player coach at the time. And, uh, and we met, um, I was actually working in his camps. He had a, he had a small business. He was doing some camps, uh, connected with the club. And I was doing, uh, some, some coaching in his camps along with coaching in the academy. And, um, yeah, we met up, headed off, and, and, and he asked me to come to Louisville, and, and the rest is history. Now, uh, you say the rest is history, but um, you guys made quite a bit of history in the USL at Louisville. Um, what was that, uh, like building that program, you know, uh, with him? Uh, tell us something that we we don't know or we can't, you know, go out and read on the Internet. <laughs> um, well... It was it was tough. Uh, we did not know each other. One of the things that James um, wanted in in an assistant was um, somebody that he didn't know. He he wanted an an unfamiliar uh, relationship because he wanted it to to be strictly that a working relationship. And so 
um, we built um, not only our friendship from from the ground up, but we also we also built a very yeah, as you say, effective effective relationship. Something that that uh, lots of people don't know about, or people don't know. Um, well, um, let's just say I kind of I kind of make fun of his um, his chosen attire. <laughs> um, between the two of us, I kind of, I kind of let him know sometimes about his um, his sun blocking um, hats and and as well. When he first moved to Louisville, he he wore a face mask as well, like a cover. And uh, you know, I was just as surprised as some of the other people that that were working with them. And um, yeah, as as we grew a little bit closer, I um, I kind of let him know about that and, and make fun of him. <laughs> well, to be fair, he is an Irishman, so I mean, you know. yeah, yep. <laughs> Daniel, um, what? How would you describe your role with Orlando City under James O'Connor? Is there are there certain uh, aspects of the team that you that you know are, are under your purview? What you know? What are your? What are your? What? Where is your authority in terms of the coaching duties? Sure. Yeah, I think. Um, one of the reasons James picked me um, several years ago is because I have a different personality and different skill set um, than James. James is is very straight and he's very detail oriented. He's very direct in um, in his delivery, um, in his in his communication. Um, I'm, I'm pretty relational and, and laid back. Um, I also have a, a background in, in leadership as well. Um, so, um, I think a lot of my messaging, um, the way that I, I deliver messages to the group, um, he, he will rely on, on me for that. Um, also building culture, uh, was a big, the big thing that was uh, attractive to James, um, uh, setting the standard for just how we, how we operate, how we, um, how we do things on a daily basis is a big part of my, my job. I give a lot of feedback to James on, on sort of how we should, how we should, um, really how, how we should approach, um, building relationships with the players. And, and he leans heavily, heavily on me, on me for that, along with, you know, planning sessions and, and, you know, deciding who to play and what tactics we should use. Yeah. Well, uh, obviously there were some challenges when you guys arrived. Um, you know, the team won a pretty bad losing uh, streak. What uh, what type of messaging and uh, culture shifting uh, have you been communicating to uh, to the players? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think one of the first things we we said to the players is, you know, we're no we're under no illusions. Um, you know, of, of where we're at, where we're, we said to the players that we're, we're very conscious that we're going to have to fight our, our way out of this. There's no magic wand fixed to this. There's going to be a very, um, a very intentional step-by-step, sort of day-by-day, game-by-game process um, that we're going to have to undergo to dig ourselves out of this. It's, you know, we talked, we talked a lot about you know, commitment, and and buy-in um we've we've gone through um the change process 
what it's going to take to change, uh, how people react to change. Um, we've we've talked a lot of, about also the um, the culture that's needed, the leadership that's also needed from the players um, to to spearhead that change. Um, you know, we've talked about how how you know exactly and very specifically how we're going to do it together. You know, not only from from ourselves, you know, but also from from every member of the staff and um, and each and every player. It's very much a a collective uh, process. So those are those are some of the things that we talked about right when we when we first got here. So you've been here uh, just over a week now, and um, you know, got your first look at your team there on Saturday night out in L.A. And I just I'm curious as to whether you thought that the team was about what you thought you'd see was it maybe a step ahead, a step behind, or where you might have thought that they would, you know, they would look in that particular first game? Um, yeah, there were there weren't really any surprises. Um, you know, I think that the fact that we, you know, we conceded first. Um, the team, the team has been has been doing that uh, regularly. Uh, unfortunately, over the last. Uh, the last several games, um, so that happened. Um, we also um, we also were not surprised when when we started to fight our way back as well because we were very um, we're very capable of of not only um, staying in games but 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 scoring goals and and changing momentum, which we did. Um, so as far as you know, being surprised or or you know not being caught off guard by, by anything. No, not really. No, it was, it was pretty much what we, um, what we expected. Um, what we were caught off guard by was, um, it was a very, you know, some, there were some game changing calls in there and we would have hoped that we would have had a better reaction from those, from those, um, calls because we spoke a lot about overcoming adversity and, uh, and unfortunately, you know, our, our reaction, to, to what happened in the game needed to be better. But, um, you know, had we um, had those things not happened, you know, we at the time that the, the goal was disallowed, it would have gone 2-2, and we fully felt like, you know, we could have gone on and, and got something for game, from the game, if not won the game. Uh, you're not going to get any argument from us on that. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of what we talked about, but... Um... You know, obviously, um, you know, coming in, you know, James uh, played with Dom. Uh, he knows him very well. You know, Dom has come out and, you know, in support of him. Uh, I, I'm curious, though, of what other players have um, impressed you since you've gotten here. You know, who's who seems to be either buying into, you know, the new culture, the new system. And, um, you know, who who's standing out for you? Yeah, well, you know, as... Look, when there's a new boss in town, normally everybody's on their best behavior, right? Um, so I think um, credit to, to all the players. I, I think the, the commitment um, every day in training has been, has been really high. Um, so, uh, we, you know, we've been really pleased with that. As far as, as, far as individual players standing out, um, Really, I couldn't. I couldn't, you know, pick one or two um, and say, "Look, this guy has really been, you know, head and shoulders above the rest." Because um, one of the things that we said to the players when we came in is that, you know, this is a clean slate. Everybody has an opportunity to prove themselves, 
uh, everybody has an opportunity to, to to impress us and to fight for their slot. So, you know, every day in training has been just that. It's been, you know, people pushing pushing themselves and pushing each other and, and fighting for spots. So um I, I couldn't I couldn't really pick one or two. It's it's been a it's an it's been an absolute dogfight since we got here. Daniel, I want to go back to the uh, you know the, you talked about the adversity after the calls, and it's I'm curious because I, I've never really asked this question before, but it, how does the explanation of that kind of thing get relayed to the bench? Does the fourth official say something? Do you even get any kind of an explanation when something happens like uh, you know Dwyer's goal gets uh, gets pulled back after what seemed like a lengthy review, and then uh, you know that you had the the one cross the goal line on the other end that didn't seemingly get any review. Does anything get re- relayed to you on the sidelines? Yeah, um, I mean I can only speak for myself. I mean it was pretty chaotic in the moment. Um, <laughs> the goal goes in. We're pretty excited. We're all celebrating. Um, and it seemed like I don't know, maybe even a, a minute after that, all of a sudden, then there's you know, it's been it's been pulled back. So yeah, we're you're questioning the fourth official, and um, the only thing that I I recall him saying was that it went for you know went upstairs for the to the video review and, and the VAR upstairs had ruled it offside. And so, um, you know, we, we were asking, you know, why doesn't, why didn't the ref check it, you know, on the field level? And he said that it didn't, you know, for, for offsides that it didn't have to, the, the center didn't have to check it. So he just, uh, he took the, the VAR upstairs in the booth with his word for it. And, and, um, you know, he disallowed the goal. So, Obviously, obviously, very disappointed um, because you know when we saw it after the game, it definitely didn't look like, as as per the rule states, um, it definitely didn't seem like it was clear and obvious. So um, for us, that was um, that was very disappointing. Uh, yeah, disappointing for the rest of us. Um, so Toronto's up next. Um, obviously you guys now have, uh, another whole week and I, I say that kind of jokingly, you, you know, you had a good five days and now you've got a, another whole week, but, um, what is it that, um, you all are focusing on to, to get ready for that next game in an effort to, you know, to stem this, uh, this losing tide? Yeah. Individual roles and responsibilities. Uh, we, we're trying to implement our, our style of play and making sure everyone's on the same page and on the same page, um, especially, well, in the last couple of, well, today, for example, we're working on, um, you know, attacking movements and, uh, and we'll, we'll, as we do every week, we'll work on defensive principles. We'll work on attacking principles and making sure that everybody understands their, their roles and responsibilities and that we're all synced up and, and everyone's, you know, doing, doing what we, what, what we ask of them, you know, the last thing that we want is is for guys to go out there, you know, doing their own own individual thing, and, and people not being able to to work together. And uh, you know, we did the, the process was the same last week. You know, different opponent. Uh, we, we'll break down the opponent and look and see where we can expose them and and how we want to attack them. Also, how we need to how to to to, to defend against them, and that's what we're doing this week as well. All right, Daniel, before we let you go, just uh, wanted to just get your take on, um, you know, Jonathan Spector 
you know, getting injured really was a key moment in the game. It seemed like it took the the defense a few minutes to adjust after Chris Schuler went in and, and um, you know, in that in that brief spell, of course, uh, conceded the, the goal. Um, but it, it did look like the team was had made some progress in terms of there wasn't an, it did concede first, but there was no early goal. Like we've seen so many early goals during this streak uh, against an LAFC is a, is a team that scores early quite often and especially at home. So that was, it was good to see the team withstand that early surge from, uh, from LAFC. And, uh, and then we saw a little bit more success in the transition game than what we've seen uh, previously this year. How close do you think this team is from really turning that corner? Yeah, no, I think um, I think we're fully expecting to turn the corner um, on Saturday. Um, and again, you know, I, I think you know, had things gone a little bit differently, I, I really believe that you know we 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 could have and should have gotten something out of the game against LA. Um, yeah, Specs is leader, um, so obviously that was a that was a blow when he had to come out early. Um, but, but at the same time, I think, I think Schuler did come on and, and, and he did a good job. Um, you know, as regards, you know, the, the, the goal that we conceded first, I think there's, there's some aspects of that, some things that we spoke about that we need to do way better. And, um, when we've addressed those and, and hopefully we'll, um, we'll deal with those better, you know, uh, on Saturday. And I think, and again, as far as, you know, conceding goals, um, it's something that we've been speaking about, um, every day. There's, uh, there's, we're not going to, um, there just needs to be a bit of a shift in terms of acceptance. Um, you know, there's some details that, that we just, we can't, uh, we can't allow and we can't accept and we need to, as you say, turn the corner. And I think that we're very, very close to doing that. And we're working on that this week and hopefully we'll see the change on, on Saturday. Great. Oh, the well, final question. Shane O'Neill now available for selection. Is he, is he a guy that's that's in game shape, or is it going to be a, a few games maybe before we see him? Yeah, no. Shane's been Shane's been training well, and uh, you know we're we're monitoring him closely, and uh, him along with the other players, and he is he's he's in contention, and we're, we're just um, we're monitoring him on a, on a day to day basis. All right, Daniel Bird, assistant coach for Orlando City SC. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. And uh, welcome back to Orlando. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much for having me. All right, we are now into stoppage time in episode number 133 of the Mainland Podcast. Big thanks to assistant coach Daniel Bird and to Lucas Casas. Casas? Casas. Uh, I'm not sure which which uh, the accent is on with with Lucas. It looks like casas, like houses, and uh, uh, he, like houses in Spanish. But anyway, I think Lucas, you're putting the wrong you're putting the the, the wrong emphasis on the on the wrong syllable. Yes, I I do that frequently. Uh, so it could be casas or it could be casas or it could be something completely different, like Smith, and I wouldn't even know the difference. But uh, <laughs> thank you, Lucas, for setting that up. I'm sure Lucas is getting a big uh, kick out of this because Lucas listens to our podcast. Did you know that? Of course. Yeah, yeah of course he does. Uh, anyway, uh, let's get on with our Mainland Mailbag. Ask the Mainland Podcast anything. And to do, to do that, to ask us anything, there's two ways to do it. There's probably a lot of ways you could really do it if you really wanted to, but there's two ways that we actually will actually check and look and see it. 
Correct. And one of those is on Twitter. We are at the mainland. And you can uh, write to us uh, at the mainland, uh, just, uh, you know, at us and use the hashtag AskTMLPC. Hey, I want to apologize if I'm not seeing your questions. If you've ever used the Christ out hashtag at us, you probably got muted. So uh, <laughs> that might be why we're not seeing them. Um, because there was, a time, However, there was a time when that was you... just too damn annoying and I wasn't putting up with it. So I just muted it. And I don't even know. Uh, you can actually email us is the other way you could do it. And if you... If you think you're not getting on because you added us with Christ out, you can email us at ask, or I'm sorry, at themainland.gmail.com, and you can ask your question, and you can ask to be unmuted, because uh, that way we'll see your stuff. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, apologies. If you're not seeing it, and you used to be a big Christ out proponent, uh, you probably got muted at some point, because it just the app mentions were just out of control. Anyway, uh, also, uh, sidebar. Got to uh, got to block an Atlanta fan this week. <laughs> got to. Oh man, now it's always fun. that that makes for it's it's a good week. Yeah, I mean Atlanta fans like to if they if you're gonna at my blog and bash me and you're an Atlanta fan, you don't need to see my tweets. That's the way I figure it. Uh, but that somebody took an exception to the tweet uh, about uh, James O'Connor having to deal with the call. Uh, to remove the goal that Dom Dwyer scored quite legitimately on uh, Saturday. And uh, mm -hmm. and I said something about, uh, you know, this is – I said it, it could cost the team points. Keep in mind, at that point, it was 2-1, and it should have been 2-2 with 18 minutes right. to play. Uh, and this Yahoo writes back that, uh, you know, they gave up four goals. So how did that even affect the outcome? And we're just a bunch of whiny, pathetic Orlando fans. It's like, okay. I guess that goals don't change games. This is the lesson I'm supposed to take from this. I, I guess maybe the pressure would not have shifted back onto LAFC with if they had blown a two-goal lead at home late in the game. Um, I figure. I think you're giving you're giving him too much credit that he knew <laughs> that he looked at the timestamp and knew that it was when not that you said that at the end of the game. So I, I, I think you're giving him way too much credit. Well, then I will I will. You know, I was in error because I should never give Atlanta fans credit for anything. Exactly, exactly my point. I mean, just because they invented MLS doesn't mean that I should give them the time of day. But anyway, I'm getting I'm getting way in the weeds. Let's get to our mailbag again. Ask TMLPC is the hashtag. Use it uh, to us at at the mainland on Twitter or email us the mainland at gmail.com. Uh, let's start in the mailbox. David Victor has sent us an email. And he says, hey, hello, Michael and Dave. Jesse Marsh left New York Red Bulls to become an assistant for Red Bull Leipzig. One, would Marsh have had a similar opportunity come if he had stayed as head coach for the Red Bulls? Two, is this the foot in the door he needed to eventually become a head coach manager at a premier European league team? Three, is being an assistant in the Bundesliga that much of a step up from being a head coach in MLS? Well, David, I'm appreciative of your questions, and I think the main thing is this. I think Leipzig would like to have Jesse Marsh uh, take over that particular club, but I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Jesse Marsh is still working on his coaching certificate at uh, whatever level it is needed to become a, a coach in that league. I believe that's correct. Um, either way, either if, if he hasn't yet achieved that certificate, that coaching level certificate, or if they're grooming him to bring him in as an assistant to groom him for that head coaching job, I think the timing was important to Leipzig 
I don't think that Marsh would have stepped down from Red Bulls uh, without it being important for Leipzig and they needed to get their coaching staff in place. So I think that he would not have had a, I mean, would he have had a similar opportunity if he just stayed with the Red Bulls? Yes, maybe, but not probably not within the or, the Red Bull organization, which he, I think, is a company man at this point, it seems like. Uh, and this is his best opportunity, I think. And Leipzig's a pretty decent team and, a, and an exciting uh, program, and I think that um, there's probably it's probably a pretty attractive job as far as Bundesliga jobs. Um, is being an assistant in Bundesliga that much of a step up from being a head coach in MLS? I don't know what they pay their assistants, so I can't answer that. But I do think this is a good opportunity for Jesse to uh, to eventually uh, get that as you mentioned, foot in the door. Uh, and I think that uh, he felt like he had to take it. That's that's my take. Dave, do you have anything else uh, you want to you know, add on top of that? All I was going to say is that uh, it was an obviously an internal discussion where, um, you know, he knows where he wants to be. They said, this is how you can get there. And he said, okay. And then as far as whether it's a better job than MLS, uh, I once again, I don't think that's a, it's not a fair comparison in this, um, situation because you know once again we're talking internal you know communications uh, within the organization so it was just um, you, you know he's gonna he's gonna go over there and do what he needs to do versus um, you know like if somebody was to go from you know Los Angeles to uh, you know Bayern Munich it, it, we're talking about a completely different you know animal than what we were talking about here. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was it was curious. Everybody thought he was leaving to become uh, the head coach in Leipzig. And I think I I don't know for a fact. I've just heard this and I've read this and and people have pontificated that his his uh, his license coaching license is not high enough level yet. He is working on the highest level um, currently. And so I don't know that that if that was a job requirement, then that that could have held him back potentially. But he's he's in their plans. It's pretty obvious. So uh, thank you again to uh, David Victor, and that's that's all the email uh, that we have this week, and we can uh, we can turn our attention to Twitter. Okay, so the Twitter questions uh, that we have, I know we have a couple. Um, uh, by the way, I have confirmation. Just during this show, it's Lucas Casas. 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 Yes. Uh, so we have a question from Ryan Smith, who is a friend of the pod, a self-proclaimed friend of the pod. Uh, he says, Dave, you, yes, you, David Rowe, are the new manager of the Orlando City player band. Pick five players, assign them instruments, a musical genre, and most importantly, what is the name of the band? The name of the band? Oh, okay. Um, wow. All right, so I, I'm going to go rock genre because I'm a, I'm a classic rock guy. Um which means that I'm going to have uh, lead vocals, obviously. For that, I'm going to go with uh, Dom because, let's face it, he's a face guy. He's got the whole, you know, beard thing going on and all that, uh, or the, the, the scruffiness. Um, then you've got your uh, your guitar guy. Um, for guitar, I'm going to go with... I'm actually going to go with... Um, El Monier, just because it sounds like like you could you could do some really cool um, you know thing with a guitar and having the El Monier and, and it labeled on the car or something like that. Um, bass, you got to go Bendik, got to go Joe Bendik on bass because uh, he's just he's hardcore. And then uh, you've got your drummer. Drummer's going to have to be Yuri Rizel. 
um, because you know Yuri's got that uh, the whole redhead goatee thing going on. And then I'm going to take a left turn and go with a rock flute, and that's going to be Sasha Question, just because you can see him kind of you know a little bit. Uh, you know, standing on one leg with the other one uh, up a little bit. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so rock flute. Now, as for what they're called, um, I'd say White Lion, but that's been taken. For those of you who are old enough to remember that 80s rock band that had the song Wait. Um, instead, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with Pride's Folly. Okay. Uh, this is a great question, by the way. This is the kind of question. It's a lot of fun. The kind yes. of question that we live for. <laughs> it um, does. I agree with you. The vocalist is Dom Dwyer. He's got the presence. You got to have the good looks, the stage presence. I think that's Dom in a nutshell, really. Um, I am going to go on bass. I'm going to go Sasha Kleshin because he looks like a bass player, kind of big and gangly, tall and gangly, like a lot of bass players are. Okay. Uh, on I'm going to move Bendik to the drums. He could beat on the drums. I think that Bendik would be a, a, the drummer of the group. He's uh, he seems like that type. Um, okay. Guitar. I think for guitar you need somebody with some flash, uh, and I think that that kind of describes Yoshimar Yotun. That was my second choice. Uh, plus he has the word tune right in his name. Oh, so, dang it! Uh, you know, so that ties in nicely. So uh, he's he's your guitarist. And I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a keyboard player in here, and I don't really know why this he strikes me as a keyboard player, uh, maybe because keyboard players sometimes are kind of nerdy, and uh, but and, and this guy's kind of nerdy but in a good way, and that's Jonathan Spector. So I think Specs is on the keys, and there's your oh, there's I can your, see that uh, yeah there, there's your band, and I'm gonna say they play progressive rock because it's the the greatest genre there is, prog um, rock, and um, the name of the band. The name of the band, I just had if it, and it pr- kind of slipped away. But, I was going to um, say, if it's prog rock, it can't have anything to do with the, what it's talking about. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I would name it something like, um, um, it, it's got to have a kind of a weird name, maybe, um, Purple City. All right, all right, I like the purple. I Tie, like the purple. ties into the team, it's kind of nonsensical, it's, it's perfect, yeah. perfect prog rock name. I like it. I like it. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Ryan Smith, friend of the pod. Uh, For that question, you actually are a friend of the pod and not just a self-proclaimed friend of the pod. Yes, that was an excellent question. (laughs) Definitely friend of the pod worthy. Uh, We have a question from Spot uh, who says, I know this Owen Goal fella is having a great World Cup, but do you think there's any chance Orlando City can add him during the July window? Think he could solve our scoring woes? Well, Owen... (laughs) Owen Goal already plays for Orlando City. Unfortunately, he does. Uh, yeah. yeah, and it's, uh, you know, he's a little bit wrong-headed uh, and uh, puts the ball in the wrong net. And we've seen that a couple of times in the recent games against Montreal. Uh, because, you know, you, you got to have the degree of difficulty when playing the Canadians. And uh, so you want to give them, you know, spot them a goal. Uh, not, not, no pun intended for your, your Twitter name being spot. Uh, but, yeah, I think... Um, it would be nice if other tra- teams could maybe uh, work a transfer and get Owen yeah. Goal on their team. Or better yet, what we could do is we could loan out Owen Goal to the opposing team every week. 
Yeah, yeah. I that think so. I think that might work out better. Yeah. And uh, you know, and and Spot, I mean, friend of the podcast. I mean, come on, uh, we've we've you've asked a bunch of questions week in week out. So so. Yeah. You didn't call it. I'm calling a friend of the podcast. All right. And uh, not that any of these were asked the mainland podcast questions, uh, but to all of the people who thought that uh, Ali Krieger getting a 6.5 in our player grades for the spirit game was too low. Get a life, people. It's one person's opinion. And uh, by the way, only four <laughs> players on the team had a worse uh, passing percentage. She missed a goal from about eight yards away with an empty net. And she, she had a mistake that really almost led to a spirit goal. So um, a 6.5, uh, maybe, in my opinion. I didn't do the piece. It was Jack. Uh, Jack McAwesome does our, our pride grades, and thanks to him for doing those. Uh, I probably wouldn't have even given her the .5. I probably would have just given her the 6. Did she do some good things in the game? Yes. Was she great? No. She was average in this game, and I think if you asked her, she would tell you that. Well, and, and it's not that we don't have any love for Ellie. I mean, obviously, we think the world of her. But it, she's it's, been on this know, very podcast. Yes, she has exactly. So it's, you know, don't don't think of it that way. It's just we we try to do an honest assessment, and not only that, but different people do the grades all the time. So it's you you you've, it's not like there's a standard that Michael has set for how grades go. If if you've read, you know that. Jack but, is his own uh, man when it comes to pride grades. He's pretty much exactly. he's pretty much done all the grades for the pride this year, and. He does a good job with it. I think he's pretty fair. I, I think that he's uh, he doesn't pull punches. When he thinks somebody doesn't have a good game, he'll tell you. When he thinks somebody's having a good game, he'll tell you that too. And uh, I think, you know, some people were like, oh, Allie Krieger should at least been a 7.5. And, and I'm thinking, based on some of the other scores there, I don't think she played better than some of those other 7s and 7.5s. And so, um and an age. I mean, I'll, I'll give her a 7 on her, uh, you know, commentating that when, when she's on TV. Ah, she's good at that, yeah. Yeah, she's good at that. Absolutely. So don't you know? Don't don't let it ruin your week that you think that she got <laughs> higher than what we gave her. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Um, grades are subjective, and uh, if you are, you know, a big fan of a particular player, you're probably willing to overlook some of the mistakes uh, that they make. That's all. Uh, anyway, thanks uh, to everybody who sent in questions. Oh wait, you have a question. You have a question. I do actually. I've got two. You have two so, so we're I... not done yet. No, we're not done right, yet. Let's continue. We're, we're getting more popular with this. Right. It's getting longer every week. All right. All right. Um, so this comes from uh, Cameron Hughes on Twitter. Uh, what other painful things in life would you compare to watching Orlando City attempt short corner kicks? Well, Dave, I've given this some thought, and um, I have passed a kidney stone before. Ooh, okay. And uh, it's it's kind of like that. It's every time I see Sasha or Yoshi just poke the ball about eight yards in front of them to somebody else, it's like reliving the kidney stone incident all over again. It is not good. I don't know what they're seeing. What they're they must be doing these amazing things in training with short corners of course. because they are not good at short corners. None of them come <laughs> off. They're almost spectacularly bad when they, when they try them. Um, I get that you don't want to necessarily plunk a ball into the middle of the box with a uh, Lawrence Simon and a uh, Walker Zimmerman in there. That's a, it's a, it's a low percentage play. Uh, but at least it's probably not a prelude to a four on three break the other way. Okay. 
Um, I have heel spurs and plantar fasciitis. And while not as painful in the extreme as what you mentioned, um, it is a daily thing. And uh, I, it, so this thing about short corners reminds me of it because it happens way too often. Mm-hmm. And every time I, I stand up and try to walk someplace, I have to be like, ow, 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 ow. And that's kind of how I feel about it uh, every time that they, they do a short corner. I'm like, ow, 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 stop, ow. So yes. I'm going to, I'm going to compare it to that. <laughs> All right. Well, that's fair. Cause I also have had, uh, have suffered from plantar fasciitis in the past. So it's no fun. And it, it it's no fun. Um, uh, lastly, um, uh, absent friend of the podcast, Mark Johnson wants to know, um, with France winning today. And he knows that we had, uh, as we're recording the podcast that, uh, we still have to watch the England Croatia game. Um, who do you think wins England, Croatia, and ultimately who wins World Cup? Uh, I think England probably wins because we can't have nice things. Uh, if we could have nice things, Belgium would have beat France. Um, I wanted an all-new. I wanted. I wanted somebody new to win, guaranteed, and we're not going to get that guarantee now. So uh, it's no, probably going to be England. Uh, Croatia's played, I think, two uh, extra time games in a row, and. Um, it doesn't look like uh, Manzukic is um, 100% healthy. It looks like he's been playing hurt, uh, and he's their big—he's really their big threat. Even and Rakitic hasn't really been as good the last two games as he was earlier in the tournament. So I, I, I think England wins it. Who wins the whole thing? It's really hard to pick against France the way they played today. Um, their defense looks pretty solid, and they really create uh, a lot. Um, it's, they're terrifying on the counter. So um, maybe France, but um, since if France plays England, I would probably want France to win. Uh, England would probably win the whole thing. <laughs> uh, I'm going to agree with you that uh, England gets by uh, Croatia. I think that um, uh, those guys are on a mission. And, and of course, like you said, Croatia is, has played a lot more uh, extra minutes than, than England has um, in the final I'm going to agree. I think England wins, which since I think that, that means France will win. So there you have it, podcast listeners. One of us um, will be wrong. One of us is going to be wrong, which is which is better than usual because usually we're both wrong. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know. It, it kind of reminds me of uh, the the uh, that German team in the past that kind of just, you know, took the took the the tournament by storm and, and, and won the whole thing. And I kind of feel that way about England. So um, I don't know. That's that's it's it's more gut feeling than anything else. So I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with England. Well, as a United fan, I, I have to say it's shocking to see a team be this this successful with Jesse Lingard and Ashley Young playing. <laughs> right. Um, well, as a, as a Liverpool fan, I hate rooting for Harry Kane and and seeing uh, uh, Sterling do anything good. Well, which to be fair, he really hasn't. So. Yeah, and quite frankly, if we're being honest, England should be punished for the it's coming home bull crap. Okay, that's fair. You know, they really should be punished for that. So you know if, they lose the final, if, if they lose the final in penalties, which would be the most painful way for them to lose, it would probably be worth it um, to pay them back for its coming home. As Americans, I don't think we get to tell anybody that they're being too um, patriotic about anything. Eh, it's not really about the patriotism aspect so much as it's uh, it's. A, it's pompous, and B, the song is just terrible. <laughs> okay, I'll give you the song is terrible, and yeah, it's pompous, but they are British. 
Uh, yeah, but isn't that more of a French thing? Typically. Mm, good point. I don't know. Uh, good. I don't know. Yeah, good point. I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, thanks to everyone who sent in questions, and uh, you can do that again. Uh, email us, themainland at gmail.com, or do it on Twitter, at themainland is our Twitter handle, and uh, tweet us with the hashtag AskTMLPC. Dave, we will turn our attention now to the uh, to Toronto FC, and uh, Orlando City will once again try to do this thing it used to be able to do called winning a game, and... Uh, Toronto doesn't seem to be the opponent to do that against. Uh, based on history, the history of the series, Orlando City has one victory, I believe, in the series. Uh, it did come in Orlando, but not in Orlando City Stadium. And that was that wild, crazy game with the uh, 100th minute penalty that Kaká scored. Ah, yes. So it was um, some extenuating circumstances to get that first win. But I got to have your key matchups and I need your score prediction. From what I understand, um, Toronto has somebody named Giovinco and another gay named Altidore. Uh, I'll, I'll have to check the spelling of both of those. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it's it's going to be um, the defensive uh, back line against uh, uh, Toronto's attack. I mean, you know, they they can they can score. Um, we're without most likely Specs, most likely Sutter, most likely Sané. And, um, you know, this is nothing against the guys who are going to be there, but um, it's we've conceded first going back. I don't know how many games. So that's that worries me. So what we can do to stop their attack is that's going to be huge for me, Um, despite what our guest uh, said about turning a corner. I unfortunately don't think it's this week i'm going with a uh another loss on the books people 2-1 uh at home but uh we do, we do get a goal so i mean there's that <laughs> the old moral victory um i'm gonna go the other way and say that the key matchup to me is the orlando city attack against toronto fc which has a very underrated defense and a good goalkeeper uh, I think that Orlando City needs to get the first goal, get some uh, get some positive momentum, get some confidence in the game. It's imperative to score the first goal. The way that that happens is the the Dwyers and the Clestions and the Colmons and the Mueller's and the Murams, they have to win those early battles and, and create good scoring chances. And then they have to finish those chances. Because, you know, if you look back to Saturday's game, when it was 1-0, Question got Dwyer in behind, and Dwyer didn't get the shot into the net. He had it stopped by Tyler Miller. It was a good save. Uh, and maybe Dom could have done better to chip him a little bit maybe from there. Uh, but Miller did a good job of coming out and making himself big and making the stop. But if Dwyer scores there, it's 1-1. You don't go, right. you don't go down 2-0, and it's, uh, the, the uphill climb is not as steep. And already, before halftime, you've already completed that, that uh, you know, the uphill climb to get level again. So... It's really imperative to finish the chances. We've been talking about this since the since the start of this losing streak. The team starts scoring goals, they'll gain the confidence, and that's what they need to do. Score the goal, score it early, score it first, and I'm putting that on the offense against Toronto's defense. A, a very a very talented uh, and underrated back line and a very good goalkeeper. So um, uh, that's my key matchup. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think we're done yet with the losing. Uh, Toronto has always had Orlando's number, and I like your scoreline of 2-1. I think it's going to be um, 
a KEG affair, a low-scoring affair, and I think just Toronto has just – I mean, Giovinco kills this team. It, uh, set pieces and drawing penalties and all those things. Um, he'll f- figure out a way to get uh, to get his team an extra goal. Well, folks, this is either really good news or really bad news because uh, we both predicted a 2-1 loss, which means it won't be a 2-1 loss. So it's either going to be a draw or it's going to be worse or maybe. Maybe you're going to win, but we know it won't be a 2-1 loss. That's probably safe. That's probably safe. So anyway, um, that was, uh, again, just another case of I can't I can't pick them to win until they win. Show me they're capable. And uh, sure, you know, I don't think that this is the opponent that sets up for that. Uh, so uh, anyway, we will be back next week to talk about Orlando City at uh, or versus Toronto at the Orlando City Stadium. We will talk about a pair of Pride games, the Pride at Houston and also at Utah for, for the final meetings of the season with both of those teams. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll then we'll look ahead to the, the next week, which, uh, you know, more teams to play. Uh, you'll have uh, U.S. Open Cup coming up again. So um, lots and lots of stuff to discuss. We'll, we'll get into Game two of the James O'Connor era and see if uh, see if the new gaffer can get the team in the win column. Uh, if you want, you can uh, always read our stuff at themainland.com. We really appreciate it. Leave comments there. You know, join our community. That's what it's there for. You can you can converse with our writers and with other uh, other readers of the site, other Orlando City fans. Uh, you can uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, all that fun stuff, and uh, we would appreciate that. And of course, as always. We would really like it if you would uh, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already and uh, leave us a five-star review. We will read the review you write. We will do it on air. We'll read it twice if you do it. Well, come on. We don't want to overkill. Okay. Well, we'll read it once anyway. Yeah, we'll at least read it once. So, um, yeah. That's uh, that's it. That's going to do it for uh, episode 133 of the Mainland Podcast. We want to thank again our special guest, assistant coach Daniel Bird. Thanks again to Lucas Casas for uh, setting up that interview. And uh, we'll be back to do it all again next week. So on behalf of David Rowe, I'm Michael Citro, the founder and managing editor of TheMainland.com, signing off the way I always do by saying go city and go pride. <laughs>